because all we're taught is math, science, and your trade or your profession. No one teaches you how to use your mind. So much power in connection. And these are people that like keep the country alive, right? They run the country, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the What You're About podcast with me, Chad Abood. And this is where we talk with inspiring leaders, entrepreneurs, and we uncover what their natural gifts are, how they figured them out, how they use them when it would have been easier to play it safe, and how they're helping their communities now. And, you know, this is why I created this podcast is because it's what I deeply care about uncovering your natural gifts and making the way forward. And so when I was thinking about people that I wanted to have on this season, I immediately thought of Brian. And so we're going to get into Brian's incredible accomplishments. But even more than that, you know, Brian, we really met for the first time, you know, in person or through video just before this, but we've known each other for the last year or so. And I just want to say, man, like the impact that you've made on me, on clearly on tons of people out there in the way that you share your life story, how it combines with your work story, the challenges that you have worked through and that you're still working through. I mean, clearly it just resonates so deeply. And, and so I just wanted to say thank you for that. But, you know, for folks who don't know, you know, Brian Segre, which I don't know how many are left on LinkedIn that don't know you, but Brian's got an incredible story because He started out as a surgeon. And so, you know, I'm sure Brian's parents were probably thinking we'll get into it. But, you know, many parents would be like, surgeon, what more can you achieve? This is the dream for your children. Right. And, you know, what I want to talk about today, Brian, is not only how you went from being a surgeon and advising the medical field, but then you also were the manager of your family's plumbing business. And then you also shifted into being a mentor and coach to the tech industry with SaaS Bros, all kinds of community leadership that you're doing for men's mental health. And of course, now over the last year or so, we're going to be talking about your performance coaching business, which you know is just lifting so many people. So Brian, thank you for joining us, my friend. I'm so happy to be here, Chad. It's, uh, it's amazing how you get to know people so well on this platform. And I feel like Every time I have one of these interactions, it's almost like, you know, a high school or a college friend that you just fell out <laughs> with maybe for like 10 or 15 years. And then you meet and it's just like it just clicks right away. And so when we were backstage, it was amazing just how it felt so natural. So I'm so happy to be here and, and share with your audience and just kind of walk people through this journey of, you know, so many things that you and I share so similarly. Right. These pivots in life where. Um, you can look at this as an inflection point from a negative standpoint, or you can look at it as an opportunity. Uh, and I think that looking at it as an opportunity is much more fruitful. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. You know, and um, my my inclination is to say, like, okay, well, let's start at the beginning. But you actually posted something today, and it really struck me because, to your point, it had such a tight overlap with the industries that we both came from. You started out in, in healthcare and medicine, and I started out in the law and, you know, you have such a beautiful way of writing your posts, not only, you know, in the substance, but in the style that, that you can absorb it in. And one thing you kept saying is how, if you don't kind of understand your emotions and what's going on in your career, well, then you bring it home with you. 
and it comes out in so many ways. And, you know, it just really struck me because that is so prevalent in so many people's careers, including my own, you know, as a lawyer is that we think that we can just be two different people. Oh, this is work, Chad, this is home, Chad, but we're just human and it bleeds everywhere. And, um, you know, I'm just so interested when you were starting, you know, little Brian, was it always going to be in the medical field or like what was on your mind when you're starting out thinking career goals? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, I got into that field by, I actually thought I wanted to be an artist, right? So actually, believe it or not, in wow. my very, in, in my very first, uh, life, I was like a, a formally trained, like fine artist, painting, drawing, sketching. And, you know, you imagine being born and raised in central South Texas, with a, with a family full of athletes. And, and I was an athlete myself and, and a dad that loves football. And he's like, wait a minute, you want to go to fine art school in New York? I don't think so. Right. And so um, what I started doing was I was doing drawings actually for like textbooks, like anatomical drawings. And I told myself, okay, this is pretty cool. Like maybe I could actually do this instead of just draw it. And so then I sort of got pulled, I think, to healthcare, not just because of that, but also as an athlete, um, as you know, I was a runner and a, and a distance athlete. And so I was constantly having injuries, you know, and, and sprains and ended up at the doctor's and the surgeon's office. And so I think it was those two things that really brought me into healthcare was one, like trying to understand what's going on with my body. And then two, like just being really interested in a profession where, you know, I grew up not, not as a segue, but I grew up uh, on a, on a working ranch. And so I always from, from birth, you know, was doing things with my hands. And if you've ever done anything that like that type of work or just even around the house or something very satisfying about taking something that's not there or broken and fixing it. And so I really love the idea of being able to take something that was broken and fix it. And I always tell people, you know, I grew up in a family that was in the trade industry and plumbing is, you know, water running through pipes and surgery is just fluid running through arteries and bones. So I, I tell people it, it was the same thing. And I think that I got my technical ability with my eye-hand coordination from my dad, but he hated to read. And so I think that if my dad would have been not just a student of life, but a student of the classroom, I think he could have done anything he wanted to do. But he was so talented with his hands that, you know, that's one of the gifts that he gave me. So it was, that was my transition. I think from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare in some way. And it was just that springboard of, you know, growing up fixing things and growing up getting hurt playing sports that, that sort of led me there. That's it's so interesting, Brian, because now I'm thinking about the journey that I've watched you have over LinkedIn and you do it your way, right? Like, this is why I wanted us to have this conversation because when I think like what you're about is like really knowing who you are and then sharing it. And that's clearly what you did. And from a young age, you seem to be like, you're creative, you're curious, you really cared about like finding a way to be better, whether it was health or whether it was growth or whether it was healing. Like, it's funny how, and I mean, it's just, this is the reality of why I care about this topic is it was always there. And so I'm curious as we learn more about your journey, about how this kept coming. And so did you see these things in yourself? Like, so no, you, you pursue this healthcare path and do you see this like creativity, this desire to like heal, this desire to learn, like, were you saying to yourself, like, wow, you know, this is really like, feels natural to me? Or were you just like hitting milestones, hitting milestones, hitting milestones? Or were you the reflective type? Yeah, I think honestly, so when it came to like, um, so I think I did really, I was reflective in the sense that I could tell that what I was doing was special, because um, 
And I don't say that like to impress anybody. It's sort of to impress on them that I think a lot of times we get very goal oriented, like you said, especially in a professional career where we have this idea that like the sports car, the fancy vacation, the second, you know, the second home or whatever, like you, you put these mountains there. And then as you go through life and you achieve these things, you get to the top of these mountains that you build for yourself and you realize, okay, like this is not as cool as I thought it was, or there's another valley with another mountain. Um, And so I think I was always like very reflective um, and realizing that that was going on. But there was a period in my time where I was very like, okay, medical school, residency, fellowship, board exam. Like I thought it was going to end, right? It was like one more board exam, one, you know, and you know how it is, right? One more test, one more certification. And then I realized like, there's, there's nothing, there, there's no end, right? It's not actually a sprint. It's like an ultra marathon. And I told myself, you need to get busy and get excited about enjoying the process and enjoying the, the mundane boredom of the day to day and not be so focused on what you're trying to get out of it. And I think to anyone that's ever read the book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, he says something in that book. Yeah. Yeah. He says something in that book that I think is very profound. And it basically, he says it much more beautifully than me, but he says something very similar to people that the difference between someone who is good and great at their craft is someone who can tolerate boredom. And I think as an athlete, I mean, I didn't want to run 120 miles a week. I didn't want to eat what they told me and lift weights and do this. But I think I learned early in life that the hard work, the dedication, the self-discipline, there's no way around that, right? Our society nowadays with the instant gratification and all of this stuff, like people forget that you have to put the reps in, you know, like NBA basketball players don't take a hundred shots a day. They take thousands, right? And so I think that I leaned into that and I was really good at tolerating boredom. Um, But then at a certain point in my life, I realized just like you said, okay, there's more to this than just milestones. Um, there's, there's the beauty of just what goes on, on, on the day to day. And when I figured that out is when my life really changed. So, so that's really interesting. And I'm curious about this because coming out of professional services myself, like, you know, if you're a lawyer, you work at a, you know, a prestigious law firm, or you become a general counsel, like you're kind of hitting these milestones And I found a very similar thing. I would like hit the milestone and then I would look back. And I don't know if you felt like this. I almost felt like I wasn't like even aware or living during that time. I was like, there was just a start point, this end point. And the middle was a bit of a blur. And I was proud of what I had achieved. And I recognized the effort and dedication it took. But I didn't even feel like I was there. I just knew I was there. And that seemed a little bit weird to me. And so when you were moving through you know, you, you become a surgeon and you're doing, you're even on the admin side of the industry too, like helping run the facilities. Were you feeling like you were alive in it? Like, was it satisfying all these gifts that you had? Or did you feel like, I'm very proud of this. And I understand that this looks great to probably a lot of people, but you didn't really feel as alive as you had hoped, which where were you on the continuum? Yeah, I will tell you, that's the really sad thing, right? Because, um, it has to be talked about, but it costs a lot of money to do what we did. Um, it's expensive. And I will say proudly that I did it all on my own um, and that it's paid for. And the, the, when I look back now, it's incredible to think that I was actually in that second group of people that you mentioned. Right. So I really was 
thinking to myself, yeah, this is great. This is like really cool. I can understand that I'm doing some things like that are really wonderful, like youngest residency and fellowship director in my, in my field, you know, publishing all of this peer reviewed literature, you know, on all of these boards and committees. But I felt that I had success, but no fulfillment. And, you know, I think it was Tony Robbins who said that, you know, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I can tell you that when you're right in the middle of that, you don't see it until you hit that rock bottom. And honestly, I will give all the credit to my wife who you see me talk about all the time. I think that's another thing here that's really brought me a lot of um, being vulnerable and sharing, you know, about your wife on social media, which she still to this day hates, but I'm never going to stop doing because I don't think that people see that enough, you know, and I think that it's something that we all are in, right? In some form or fashion, we're in a relationship with somebody. Um, And I truly, it was her who one day told me like, you're not running anymore. You're not lifting anymore. You're not drawing anymore. Like what happened to like that person? Like, where are you? And I realized that this career had taken me over and yes, I was very successful at it, but it just wasn't checking the boxes that I thought it was going to check. Right. I think to your point, when you're in medical school or when you're in law school or undergrad and you're sort of, I don't want to say you're being groomed, but you're something is pushing or hopefully in life. And I don't, I want to make this distinction. If I can encourage people, anything in life, it's okay to be pushed towards something. But as I've gotten older, you, you want to be pulled towards something much more than you want to be pushed. Right. And I think that, I think when I was younger, I was really pushed a lot towards medicine because of a lot of gifts that people thought I had that I did have, but they were like, you're a great standardized tester. You're great at this. You're great at that. Like go do medicine. You're really smart. And I felt a push, which was encouraging, but I never really felt like I was pulled. Um, And so, yeah, I think that it was at that young age when I look back now that it was the education, the teaching, the medical students, my heart was really in building other people up. Right. And, and, um, and serving them. And so I absolutely miss the operating room and the teaching and the instructing and watching these people grow and sharing my wisdom. But I don't miss, I mean, I'm lucky. I was one surgeon that was never named in a lawsuit or never litigated. And you know how rare that is, Chad. Um, (laughs) so, so I went out with an, with a perfect record and I'm proud of that, but, um, but I don't miss a lot of the, you know, the healthcare industry and, the small people being bought up and it being big business. I mean, you know, the fact that Aetna owns CVS, I mean, that's just very peculiar to me. And, but, but I miss, I was pulled into that profession to serve people and, and to treat patients. But I felt like, yeah, I was, I know that's a long answer, but I was definitely the second person that you mentioned where I was just checking boxes um, and showing up and just doing it again. And so what did, what was your reaction initially and then as you had a bit of breathing room, when your wife started, you know, poking some holes in what probably looked to a lot of people like a really nice veneer, was your reaction like, whoa, you know, like I got to take a second look or did you have like an initial resistance because of everything you had put into it? And maybe you had rationalized your own unhappiness because of the success you had had. Yeah, the correct. Yeah, definitely that. I think, you know, there's a, There's, I think you, you may or may not relate to this, but I think so much of, and it's not just a male thing, it's a female thing as well, but so much of what we manifest in life is shame. And there's this fantastic book, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, who wrote this book about vulnerability and shame. And I think a lot of what I was going through was 
I was ashamed of like what I'd become. You know, you mentioned the at home Brian, the at work Brian, like, you know, putting on this persona. I'd go to work and go to these cocktail parties and like, I'm, hey, let's do it. And then I get home and I tell my wife, like, what, what, who was that? Like, that's a joke. Like, I don't actually feel that way. I just wanted to get home and like play video games. This is ridiculous, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I think at first it was a lot of resistance because I knew that I was in the wrong place probably. Um, but then you think about, wow, lots of six figures to get there, lots of sleepless nights to get there, all of the status that comes with being in that spot. And it was my wife really, um, who understood that and allowed me to share with her at home, like openly and, and honestly called me out when she knew that I wasn't being honest with myself. You know, she gave me a safe place and a safe space to do that in. Um, and she is just such a incredible person when it comes to her own awareness, but also being able to read people. And she just always kind of knew, you know, how to be there and how to show up for me, which then in itself allowed me to start doing that for myself. Right. Um, so she saw your yeah. gifts in you, like the stuff yeah. that you called out are like already the same things that we talked about before, like your creativity, your desire to grow, your desire to heal, your desire to push your body, like all of these things were fading away. And it actually really resonated for me too, because when I was in a similar spot at different, you know, a couple different times in my career, either I noticed I'd put on a lot of weight. I was like drinking a lot of energy drinks. I was buying a lot of convenience, luxury, vice, because either you have to, given the demands, or you feel like you deserve it, or you're trying to like make yourself feel happier. And what I found was I was trying to think about, you know, I, I share this story often about how when, you know, a grandfather who had passed away, I felt like he'd really used the maximum gifts he had to live the life he was meant to live. And I remember it was about like 15 years ago, he passed away. And I remember being there and thinking to myself, like, I don't even feel sad. Like I feel, of course, I'm going to miss him, but like, I feel at peace for him. And I want to go out like that. Like, right. you know, at the end of the day, I want to go out knowing I used what I've got to make the greatest impact that I can, because that'll also create the greatest fulfillment. And so, you know, it really struck me when you were talking about your journey through that. And I wanted to share that too, that, you know, Brian's a, a great example for sharing that and also sharing how supportive his wife was. There's so many folks like myself included that see their life, you know, being negatively impacted by what seems like great external success. And so it's not that you shouldn't be a surgeon. It's not that you shouldn't be a lawyer. It's just that your life also has to work with it. And so for you, Brian, as as your wife is sharing these things with you, she's giving you a space to relieve yourself of the shame and the burden. How did you find your way back out of it? Is this when you shifted to your family's business? And, and how big a deal was that to move out of being a surgeon? Yeah, that was a big move. I think, honestly, what it was, um, there was a lot of things that sort of happened at the same time. So there was all that going on. So as I was like starting to kind of break down, um, and I was practicing at the time in California when it really kind of started to hit me, which was a beautiful area. Northern California is just beautiful. But the area where I was practicing, I was trying to start a residency program and a fellowship there and was getting a lot of pushback. And so just so happened at the time that my alma mater out of Georgetown, where I did some of my training, the residency director, fellowship director that was there at the time had been there for like literally like 40 plus years. And he finally was ready to throw the towel in. And I reached out to him. And him and I had a fantastic relationship and he was like, oh my God, I can't believe like you called me today. Like, this is so random. I'm ready to like be done with this. 
And so then I sort of got a little bit of a spark back because I was like, okay, great. Like I'm going to go back to a place where I know everybody. I'm going to be in a teaching position at an academic center. This is great. Like I'm going to be able to be involved on the admin side and do everything that I thought I was missing. And then I go out there and get that position. And of course, it's a great position, you know, working, as you know, like 100 plus hours a week. I'll never forget as an aside, the first time I called my brother and I was like, yeah, I worked 117 hours the last week. He was like, wait, what? He's like, there's not even that many hours in the week. He like literally is like, hold on a second. He's getting out a calculator because he doesn't believe me. And I'm like, trust me, man, I know exactly how many hours there are in a week. And there is definitely 117. And so, you know, I'm doing this. I'm loving it, enjoying it. And then right when I'm like at the pinnacle of my professional career, I lose my dad to his second round of lung cancer. And so what happened then was my wife and I had just bought a house in in D.C., literally just closed on it, 20 percent down. This all happens. And then basically, um, you know, my mom and dad who had built this big business in Texas, they were like high school sweethearts, had done everything together. Her world just starts to crumble like around her. She doesn't know what to do without him. They had been married for like 47 years. The business had been in business for 47 years. And my brother has this big international company that's very successful, but he's got a lot of kids and, you know, he's traveling a lot and he, and we have a great relationship and he calls me and he's like, look, I'm not telling you to come home. But he's like, we got to figure out what we're going to do because we're either going to lose dad's business and mom or we got to figure out what to do. And so I just that was one of the first times in my life where I felt pulled really strongly to come back home. And so um, I just walked away from my career and we put the house on the market and I'm pretty sure we sold it for like exactly to the dollar what we bought it for, um, which we were lucky. We didn't get the 20 percent back. But what can you do? Right. But we. We moved back to Texas. We moved back to, to uh, San Antonio and I stepped in and took the family business over. And then I hate to say it, but during the pandemic, the trade businesses exploded because people were stuck at home. So they were doing remodels and this and that. So the trade business exploded. The company, one of the things my dad did that was genius is he named the plumbing company, Mr. Plumber, which is like a genius thing to do. And so we had this huge company come in that is the biggest owner of uh, trade companies like in North America. And they made us like an incredible offer for like, you know, 12 times EBITDA. And so we said, yep, yeah, take it. You can have it. And they wanted it for like the 50 years of like client lists and like for the name. Um, and so I finished out with them. And then, you know, that was that was how I sort of ended up here. So I think that it was, you know, it was a very not typical way to leave an industry and come back home. I knew I would come back to Texas eventually, but it was one of those few times where a decision like that for most people would probably be a difficult one. And for me, it was like, I was like coming home from the hospital and like putting the house on the market, like the same day that I, it was just like, it just, I just felt I had to do it. And how did you find the transition? Like, you know, you had all these technical skills and then you shifted from that to kind of more of the teaching and the education side that you wanted to bring out. That's very natural for you. Clearly, we see that on LinkedIn from you every day and raising other people, supporting them. And so it seemed like you had found that home. And then you're coming back to a family business, different part of the country, different industry into your family business, but you hadn't been working in it. How did you find, how, like, how did you feel? Did you feel like more like yourself, less like yourself? How were you using the talents that you had when you were making this massive life shift? Yeah, that was a wild time because uh, I felt like at first it was going to be really underutilized, like, you know, the the skill set and the, and the tools that I had built. What was incredible was that 
my dad had built this incredible and my mom had built this incredible culture in this business that is so funny that they started doing this 50 years ago. And it's what people like aspire to do now, right? It was just this good old fashioned and people will tell you on LinkedIn, you'll see it all the time. You know, jobs will tell you we're your family and don't believe them. That's don't believe that, right? Like this was a true family owned, huge company in the state of Texas that honestly had picnics, tr treated people like family. And for people to think that that doesn't exist, it does. People just don't want to put the work in to build those kind of relationships. But if you do, they will serve you well. And so where I'm going with this is I, I knew I had the skill set to lead and to inspire and teach and to grow these people within the company. But I also knew that there were people at the business that when I was this little bitty rug rat running around in the warehouse, playing with tools and making a big mess, there were people that had been with my dad's company for 35 years that told me, you come back and we will handle all the technical stuff that you don't know, but we know who you are as a person and we can't wait to have you back here. You know what I mean? So um, it was having a fantastic team behind me that believed in me, having my mom who just was beside herself when I told her the decision I made and a wife that was like, let's pack everything up and go. And I think it was having, you know, it, it's the people that we surround ourselves, you know, besides your mindset, which is the most powerful resource on earth. I truly think that the next most important, you know, Warren Buffett talks about the people you surround yourself with will mm -hmm. go in the direction that you go in um, and vice versa. And I truly feel like at that time in my life, I couldn't have been surrounded by a better group of people. I'm I'm really glad that you that you highlighted the environment piece because like that that feels you know resonates very deeply with me you know when I talk to people it's kind of like two halves right it's how can you figure out your gifts how can you share them how can you refine them how can you validate them but as importantly it's the environment and the team dynamic that you're in because you can be incredible in certain areas but if that group doesn't need that doesn't want that doesn't see that then you're fighting that upstream battle but if you are in an environment and ideally if you seek out an environment because you're reflective enough to know where you're strong and what's harder for you if you can share that with people you'd be amazed at how welcoming certain groups are because they're saying like well we need a leader we need someone who will educate inform inspire we don't need you to learn the plumbing industry technicals brian because that's not your thing we don't, we've got lots of that what we need right. is this other thing and so you know it feels like this coincidental perfect you know, result, but really what it is, I think is from your story, you're always very reflective. You knew what you're great at. You knew what you didn't know. You knew where you were being pulled towards your energy. You knew what mattered most to you. And so when you share that, whether it was you reaching out to kind of your old colleague at Georgetown or whether, you know, it was reaching out to your family's business and, how, and the people that were running it at the time, you got to share it because that's how people know how to find you. And, and you did that. And so how did you find bringing your gifts and your talents into this brand new industry where it might've been a bit intimidating too? family business, you don't know, you know, the trade world as well. How, how did that go? Yeah, it was definitely, it was a big wake up call at first, but the one thing that I found that was um, so such an incredible feeling was that I watched growing up, the one thing, one of the many things, but something that really stuck out to me about my father was, you know, we came, he, he came from nothing literally in the sense that like grew up in a house with like a dirt floor, like for real and had an abusive alcoholic father and just really did not have a good upbringing. And then to see him go through this transition of going from that 
And then literally by the time we passed away, my parents were living in this beautiful, and again, this is not to impress anybody, but living in this beautiful country club in San Antonio with literally George Strait, Tommy Lee Jones, Sandra Bullock, right? All of these people. And here's a guy who came from nothing, owns a plumbing company, and literally used to, we used to work on a ranch. And what it taught me and what he taught me my whole life was that there's nothing in the world more important than communication. And then the dialogue that you have with each person at any given time, and that anytime you're talking with someone to put everything else aside and, and just be present with that person and give them your everything. And just watching him in my life, talk to plumbers, electricians, janitors, doctors, lawyers, all these people that ended up becoming his friends, you know, playing golf with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, when my dad used to not even be able to afford to get onto a golf course and watching him go through his life and treat people with such respect and to be able to just talk to anybody, no matter who they were, I think was something that I just picked up from him just watching it. And when I came back to the industry, it was so refreshing because I will tell you, coming from a professional industry and, you know, white collar, whatever you want to call it, and go into blue collar. I mean, I felt so much more alive being around people that didn't, it wasn't so uptight. People you know, might say a swear word, but they would tell you exactly how they felt. You know, people would come into work and they couldn't afford to put new tires on. People were honest. They were open. They were genuine. And these are people that like keep the country alive, right? They run the country, right? When it's hot and your air conditioner is broken, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a lawyer, who do you call, right? When, when you come home and your wife's trying to fix dinner or your husband's trying to fix dinner and there's no running water, who do you call, right? It's like, we, we don't think of these people as integral to society. But if you think about the Romans all the way up to modern day, if you can't get clean water into your house and sewage out of your house, there's going to be a lot of disease and a lot of unhappy people. And so I think when I went back into that industry, I realized to myself, like, my dad, like, I've operated on several thousand people. My dad has impacted the lives of millions of people, like, over his career as a humble servant, as a plumber. Um, and I just felt like alive when I went back into that industry, honestly. And so I, I don't know if that makes sense at all, but I felt like the skills that I learned going through college all of the discipline that I learned and all of the technical stuff that I learned and the leadership stuff that I learned was so brilliant, but I just felt so much more at home in that industry. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's such a clear answer for how you show up too, because when people see you on LinkedIn, it feels like you're there with you in your house, with your dog, with your family, like it feels very real. And so when you were describing the experience of kind of coming home and coming back to the trade industry where people you felt like were just very honest and it made you feel alive, that, that really feels like it comes out in how you show up. And, you know, that's why so many folks just really appreciate, I think, what you offer and how you try to inform, because there could be lots, there are lots of people who try to tell you what you should eat, what you should drink, how you should take care of your body, what you shouldn't put into your body. And of course, you do such a great job of of this and, and many other things, but people connect with it because you just show them who you are. And so as you were moving out of that phase, like how did you, how did you think to yourself, how am I going to be, now that you've understood the real Brian and who you wanted to be, and you felt like there was kind of a coming home and a belonging to yourself, how did you decide where you're going to go? Because now you have this massive coaching business and you're a community leader and a mentor and a coach. Like, did you see that coming or, or what, what in your mind was going to happen two years ago? 
Right. That's a great question. So that's where, honestly, I hate to sound cheesy, but inner LinkedIn, right? So what happened was we sold the business and it was a great exit. And then I had never really taken any time off in my life, which I'm sure you're, you're, you're the same way. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to just take off like six months. And my wife was like, yeah, right. Like you're totally nuts. And so then like two or three months into that, like I started finding all my hobbies again, right? Like I'm, I'm like a normal person. Like I'm working out, I'm exercising, I'm eating the right stuff. I'm like reading, like doing these things that normal people do. And then my wife was like, okay, you need to get out of the house and find something else to do because you're driving me nuts. Right. Cause I just was like, so fired up all the time. And my wife was like, why don't you go onto LinkedIn and like, check it out. I think you'll be surprised. And I'm like, LinkedIn. I'm like, I built like a profile there, like that, you know, your uh, administrator in college tells you to do like 25 years ago and never touched it again. Um, and I had never really been on social media. I mean, I was on like Facebook and Instagram, like in college, but those accounts were like long deleted. And I went to LinkedIn and, you know, to keep a long story short, I I'm there and I'm kind of just like lurking around watching what's going on. And I'm like, this is not, what is going on here? Like, this is kind of cool. So I make a post and this guy who at the time probably had like, I don't know, 25,000 followers or something, which is like where I am now, like two years ago. Uh, I think it was like March 3rd of 2020. I make a post a few days after that. And this guy, Darren McKee, I'm like, who is this clown? Right. He comments on my post and I'm like, wow, this guy's like really big on LinkedIn. Who is he? And I saw that he was from Texas and we connected like instantly. We got on the phone and I was like, whoa, this is, there's something else going on on LinkedIn besides just like the screen. And so instantly in that moment, I told myself, I'm going to fully commit to LinkedIn and I'm going to take conversations from the screen off the screen very quickly. And I mean, you know, Tony and I have become really close. I mean, it's like there, there's probably 25 to 30 people on LinkedIn that you and I both know really well that I talk to on the phone or like on a, just a random Zoom, like almost daily, right? And these people are like really close to me now. And so what happened was, as this is all going on, these people are all telling me like, well, what are you doing? What have you been doing in your life? And blah, blah, blah. And it was those people who saw in me, they basically said, and of course my wife will tell you, I've been telling you that forever. And she has, and she was right. And she's always right. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing is that when people say, oh, well, my wife was right again, I can tell you, just listen to them because they're right or your husband, right? And and what I found was that they were right in the sense that either as an athlete or as a surgeon or a director, I was either being coached or I was coaching people my whole life. And you might appreciate this um, as, as when you were a law student. I found myself as a residency director, not necessarily teaching the, the students and the fellows like about how to read an MRI or about the the, the you know, the landmark cases or in our case, the studies or whatever, they knew all that already because they knew they were going to get questioned on it. They were coming to me with questions like, hey, well, Brian, uh, Dr. Segre, like uh, every time we leave the hospital, like everything's closed. So when do you go to the dry cleaners? Like when, when right. you go to the dentist, like my wife is always pissed because I'm never around. How, how do I fix that? And so I realized like people are coming to me with questions about like how to fit this job into their life. Because all we're taught is math, science, and your trade or your profession. No one teaches you how to use your mind, how to sit with your emotions, how to control your thoughts. They just tell you, go, 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 make money, make money. And so I started to realize maybe people need someone who's walked the walk and has been through those hard times. And, and now when I look back and I reflect, I can say, here's how I can create a path for you 
here's how I can take something that took me 10 years, took me a decade, and I can compress it into a few days, right? I can turn decades into days for you. And so it was people around me, like we talked about, the people you surround yourself with, seeing something in me that I didn't see at the time and telling me, you're a coach, you just have never been paid for it. So just open, you know, open up a store and let's do this thing. And I literally got an LLC. Um, I'd had several before, but never like this. Got an LLC, got my EIN, opened up a business account and just made a post on LinkedIn and it, it took off. And within the last, you know, seven, eight months, it's just been, you know what I mean? I've been blessed. Yeah, I mean, blessed, but also you think about like you were talking about the lifetime of like work and reflection and dedication and stumbles and the valleys to go with the peaks. And like, that's, that's what you're bringing. And I, I think that's the part that's so difficult is that we often don't see our natural gifts. And what I often tell people to do when they're struggling through this saying like, all I know is this technical training I've received. And I don't even know if I like it. I just know that I can do it is if you ask five people, a friend, colleague, family member, just different people from different elements of your life. And you ask them, what is something that you see me do that doesn't require a carrot or stick for me to use? You would be amazed. Every time I do that with a coaching client, they come back and like, you can see almost the same words from many of them and for sure the same themes, right? And so like, you think with somebody like yourself, like how much you care about healing people, how curious you are. Another thing that I think is clearly a natural gift of yours is you really seem to take energy from being the person who reaches out. And that matters too, right? Like clearly the personal connection matters deeply to you because you take conversations to that next step without a lot of hesitation. Do you notice that in yourself? I do. And I think it's, um, I think at first, like, especially a lot of people close to me, you know, family members who've never really been on social media, my wife, they were like, I can't believe it's crazy. You're like, you're on the phone with these people, giving them your phone number. I said, you can block them on LinkedIn. I can block them on my phone, right? Like not to be funny, but I grew up in South Central Texas. I grew up on a ranch. We hunted. I'm a gun collector. I'm not really worried about my safety, right? So the, so, so the, so the point is that, um, and we live in a beautiful area of the Texas Hill Country that's very rural, right? Like it's very safe. People are here are, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It's a friendly place. And, you know, I, I think that I learned really early on that, you know, if you're feeling down or worried or stressed or you feel helpless or whatever it is, depressed, anxious, if you get helpful when you're feeling helpless, it changes your whole world, right? And it sounds so corny. It sounds so whatever you want to call it. But waking up in the morning every day, like, you know, it sounds so crazy, you know, where I grew up and how I grew up, but just practicing gratitude, thanking myself for something very simple. And every day I'll send a random voice memo or a text message. You, you better be careful giving me your phone number because I just send like to Darren or Tony or, you know, sometimes I'll be on a run and I'll just record a quick video and send it to Tony just randomly and just thank people for like these moments in my life where I needed them the most and they don't even know that they were there for you, you know, and it's like, it's not a male or a female thing, but it, as a man, if you can break those barriers down, I mean, I tell men, I love them all the time. I, I never used to be like that, but I truly do. And there's just something about coming from a place of service. And a lot of people, you know, that's a big buzzword right now, servant, servant leader, but you, you can talk about it and you can be about it. And I will tell you that it has changed my life to put other people's success before mine, but actually really do it. Um, 
And it's a very powerful thing. And I think that that is where that connection or that just wanting to reach out to people and just develop something really deep like that, um, where, where it comes from is just, it just brings joy to me to watch people's reaction when they get that random call or that random message, like out of the blue, you know, it's just, it, and it changes their whole day. And so that's, that's why I do it. Well, and the impact's tremendous. What I tell folks, cause I, you know, I live that same philosophy has, has equally, you know, changed my life too. And I tell this to folks all the time is that whether you feel it altruistically or in the beginning, you're doing it because it's better for your career. The the starting point motivator to me, go nuts either way, whatever motivates you. I know it'll come to altruism because like you said, you feel so much better when you do it. But if you're listening to this and that doesn't resonate for you today, it's so much better for your career anyway, because here's what happens, whether you're in the medical field, the legal field, any field, you are thinking good thoughts about someone you're working with a client that you're supporting, you're thinking good thoughts about them during the day. Oh, that was really helpful when they did that. That was super smart. Oh, that was very helpful. If you actually take the words out of your brain and push them out of your mouth, then people know that you see them. Well, that's how humans connect. It's like the foundational element of human bonding. And guess what happens when people like you and they bond with you and they know you see them? Well, they want to be around you more. They recommend you more. And so if the altruism doesn't hit you, then start out from a business first perspective and the altruism will come around and get you anyway. It's so true. I think, um, you know, we saw this a lot during the pandemic, right? I mean, it's always been there, I think, but the isolation, the, the you know, quarantining, all of that stuff, I think really brought it to a head. The more and more as we sit on this digital call, the, the more and more that we become um, remote and we become less involved in being actually with someone in person, the more that we realize that connection and community is really like what society has always been about, like period, that's where it all started, right? Like connection and love is literally like, if you want to get rid of fear and worry and stress and depression, anxiety, gratitude and love and connection will squash all of those things immediately. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I always use this example. And I know you can relate to this. You wonder why when you go to the gym and there's 50 treadmills, why does the guy get on the treadmill right next to me, right? Or you go into you go you go into the bathroom at the movie theaters and there's 25 urinals. Why does the guy come right next to me, right? It happens to all of us. It's because we are herd, we are pack animals, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to have a herd mentality. You can still maintain your individualism. But humans want to be with other humans, period. Yeah. And so and so I think that when you do that from a genuine place, um, it's very powerful. And there's all these studies, you know. One of the longest running studies of all time that's still ongoing from Harvard. This study's been going mm -hmm. on for like a hundred. You know the study. It was a great yeah, TED I talk. It. I mean, it's literally proven that if you're a 50-year-old man, whether you drink, smoke, or have great cholesterol, that is less predictive of your <laughs> longevity than it is if you have deep relationships with yeah, your partner, your spouse, your friend. I mean, there is so much power in connection that, like you said, it, even if it comes from a standpoint of I'm gonna get more clients. I'm going to make more money because I'm going to be a good person. Even if that's how it starts, it is infectious. And it will, like you said, it'll come a full circle eventually. It's such a great point. Like so many great threads there about like how humans bond, feel safe, feel connected. And I love, I love technology. Technology is allowing us to do this today. But what I love even more is like the human connection piece and whether that's knowing more of what you're about, learning what somebody else is about. 
and you're such a great example of that. And, and I know in your business, you know, you have your coaching business, but you also, you know, today, actually perfect timing, we're recording this, you made an announcement. You didn't give us the full thing yet, but you did give us a little sneak peek that you have a new offering coming. And, you know, I, I got to ask to see what kind of Intel we can get Brian on, on what, what's behind that post there. Yeah. So I'm excited about this. I think, you know, I was a little skeptical um, when I, so when I was at this conference last week, you know, we had this beautiful Airbnb we were staying at. We had a lot of these campfire hot tub talks and actually me and a couple of the guys that were there actually finally built up some confidence and Darren for him to launch yesterday, he launched his first cohort on LinkedIn. Um, And I think we talked about this and I said, you know what, I'm coaching all of these people right now that are in all different industries And I said, and I'm loving that and I'm not going to stop doing that. I said, but wouldn't it be cool if I created something where I could bring together anybody in healthcare, like literally from, you know, a medical assistant and a radiologist all the way up to like, you know, the residency fellowship director in an environment where it was very safe because what are the likelihoods that these people that fill up this cohort are going to be in the same state, much less like the same practice. And as you know, probably in the law profession and definitely in medicine, And I've already seen this and had people reach out to me where we know that this burnout and this suicide and these mental illnesses are rampant. And so the hospitals and these academic centers are starting to shine a light on this and create these programs. Problem is that what happens is Dr. Smith goes into this program. He's a premier surgeon at his at his at his hospital. He's doing great. No issues at work. But he feels safe in this environment. And he says, you know what? I've been burnt out for 30 years. I go home every day and drink a half a pint of scotch and sit on the couch and just watch reruns of Seinfeld. And I'm miserable. Well, he feels comfortable enough to share. And then, you know, people start talking and then there's retaliation now, right? And I've already heard about that and it's already being discussed openly. So I thought, how cool would it be to create this external environment where people could get together and share their stories, be vulnerable I can teach them some things, you know, about mindfulness, some things about, you know, your thoughts and how you can overcome a lot of this stuff, but they can do it in a way where it's not going to be around people that they probably know that are going to like be able to cause them any sort of issues. And it can just be a way for people to, to share. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And you know, something that, um, that my partner actually taught me and, you know, doing 10 years of therapy taught me is that you don't always have to pre-know the answer you need to get the thoughts out. And I never really knew that growing up. I thought if you were going to think something through, either you knew the answer and then you talked about the answer or you kept it in. And if you keep something in, it just swirls on you. And you start making a lot of assumptions and a lot of implications about what other people are doing and typically not positive ones. And so it like manifests something really negative and dark the longer you keep it in. When really sometimes the magic of the answer is having a place where you can just get it out. It's not even about always what someone says then next, but it's like, that's almost the answer sometimes. And so I think it's really beautiful that you're creating that. And I think folks, some folks will know they need it. Other folks will only know they need it once they do it. Right. Yeah. I think that's, so that's the key. I think, you know, there's this, there's this quote that, you know, we worry so much unnecessarily before it's necessary. And I think that, one like sort of metaphor or analogy, I guess, that I tell people is speaking to what you said. So many people think that with this perfect plan, with this perfect thought, with this perfect idea, they're going to gain clarity. And then that clarity is going to give them this magic solution. And then they're going to take action. And what really happens is 
whether it's speaking the words or physically taking action, the clarity always comes after, right? Um, it doesn't come just by planning and ruminating. And so I tell people, you know, if you've ever been to San Francisco or somewhere where it's really foggy and you're driving in a car, if you only have 10 feet of visibility, but you need to see 20 feet, the only way you can see 20 feet is by taking action and moving 10 feet, then you can see 10 more, right? And so I tell people all the time that if you're really stuck on something, if you're really not sure what to do, you know, whether it's taking a pen and writing it down, whether it's like you said, talking with someone and just sharing, the idea will come after you actually start moving, whether it's physically or whether it's mentally, um, you have to take that action. There, there is no clarity without action. Uh, it's, it's such great advice. I actually use that advice for myself all the time. Whenever I feel stuck, the first thing I tell myself, because when you feel stuck, you go into a negative loop. And you do less and then you get annoyed at yourself for doing less. And so the first thing that I tell myself is what really quick and small action can you take now? And it yep. doesn't matter if that action is so clearly going to take me to the direct result. The point is, I know by taking the action, I will feel better and something will come of it, whether it's just maybe I send a note to Brian saying, hey, Brian, just wanted to say thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciated your energy. That'll give me another idea or you'll send yep. something, an idea to me. And so I'll get further by taking an action. And so I think that's such great advice. And, you know, so you've got this, you've got your coaching, you're, you know, you've got this new, this new community, this external community that you're going to be launching soon, which is super exciting. If you're, you know, talking to younger Brian, or you're talking to somebody else who can resonate with the journey that you've been in, and they're somewhere in the valley of some of the, some of those pieces that you went through and pulled yourself out of, and your wife helped you pulled yourself out of, what would you tell younger Brian when it was a little bit darker, what, what tactical thing would you give to yourself back then? Yeah, I'm sitting here. It's so funny. So I hate to keep talking about, you know, authors and stuff, but I'm looking at a stack of Dale Carnegie books on my desk and, uh, and Dale Carnegie is not to be confused with Andrew Carnegie who ruined labor laws in this country. Right. So let's not conflate those two, but Dale Carnegie, who was this phenomenal, you know, um, I don't know what you want to call him coach, I guess, speaker who, you know, was, you know, Jim Rohn's, you know, protege and then Tony Robbins's protege. And it's, it's, I remember him saying something similar to today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And at first, when I read that, I had no idea what he, what he was talking about. I was like, that, what is this? Like some sort of a puzzle to solve a riddle. And then I thought about it and it really summed up my whole life. And it made me realize that all of this anxiety and depression, like in modern society, sure, there is a chemical imbalance that some people truly have. It's like a genetic component, right? Sure, there is that. But the majority of what all of us deal with, right, the stress, the worry, the concern, the I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm too fat, all of these things that people worry and stress about all come back to that four letter word fear, like always. And what I realized when I look back, if I could tell my younger self something or give anybody any free advice, it's that. If you spend all of your time in the past, it doesn't, I'm not talking about reflecting, but if you spend all your time in the past, which you cannot change, you are going to be depressed. And if you spend all your time in the future, which you cannot predict, you are going to be really anxious. And so if you can learn to be present, like in the moment, and you can learn to do today's work today and learn, you know, like there's a saying that they say, life is long enough if you live it well. And so People say life is too short. I don't have enough time. That's totally bogus. Life is long enough if you learn to live it in the now and you try as hard as you can 
to not ruminate about things that you've already done and not spend time thinking about things like, oh my gosh, my boss, I didn't turn this in on time, right? Like you don't know what's going to happen. It's probably never going to be what you think it is anyways. And if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be stop worrying about what's already been done and stop worrying about what hasn't been done and literally worry just about what you're doing right now. That will change your life. Yeah, that's beautiful advice. I I think too, that really hits home a lot when you start living a path that's more intentional, where you're feeling pulled, like you said earlier, because when you're being pulled towards something that you really care about, that you feel really taps into your gifts, or you can create impact, is that like you're more in it versus something that's pushed, either pushed on you or you're being pushed to do because you have the technical ability to do it. You almost need these milestones in order to feel motivated and you can't live in it as much. What, um, before, you know, before we lose all this genius, I'm curious what, what happens today? Because I'm sure for you today, there's moments where you're either thinking about the past or you're thinking about the future. What is something that you use for yourself today to keep you grounded in the day? Yeah, this is a good one. So I'll tell you one thing that works really incredibly well is there's two ways that you can change like your mindset in any given moment, or you can change your, your thoughts, right? And you can either do it from a physiological standpoint, which means like with your actual physical body, or you can do it psychologically with your mind. The second one psychologically is much harder to do. Um, it's probably the most powerful one when you learn to do it well, because you can apply it to any aspect of your life. That's what I help people learn how to do. But the first one, your physiology, there's a study that they did like the, the, you know, the super, the, 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 uh, superhero study, right? Like Tony Robbins talks about this study all the time, where if you stand up and you just put your arms on your hips and you stand there for two minutes, just two minutes like that, it boosts testosterone by like 300%. It lowers your cortisol or your stress hormones by like 81%. And so one of the things I tell people that you can do right now is if you're stressed, worried, stuck, or you find your mind wandering to those past and future places, literally change your physiology. Like get up, take the dog for a walk, take a 20-minute break, right? Like do some breathing or just change your physical environment, change your actual physiology of your body, and that will start to change your mind. And then over time... You can learn to do that with just your mind. But for me, honestly, Chad, like if I'm really, really stuck on something, I tell Tony this all the time. If you go out for like an hour or an hour and a half walk or for a run and and you can't figure out or you go to the gym for an hour and a half and throw some weights around and you can't figure out the answer to that problem, there's probably not an answer to it. So just let it go. You know what I mean? It's such great advice. I, I remind myself of that all the time, too. If I if I feel stuck and I can't come up with some other action, then I'll like physically get outside or work out and inevitably I feel better. And by feeling better, it helps my ideas come to me because I'm reducing the anxiety. I'm reducing the stress because that energy gets depleted by simply being outside, taking in the senses, working out, whatever it is, you need to like move through that first layer of kind of hypersensitive energy so that you can get into something a little bit deeper. And I'm with you, man, that, that I feel that way all the time. So that's, that's incredible advice. I want to thank you so much, you know, Brian, this is, your wisdom, your experience, the trials, the challenges, it's so helpful. And so for anyone that was, you know, you're listening to this, reach out to Brian, let us know, you know, what you think really mattered for you, what resonated for you, what questions do you have? 
leave us the comments, let us know how it impacted you. And, you know, if you think that there's someone else that would really benefit from hearing all this incredible, you know, wisdom that Brian shared, then I hope that you send this to them, you know, wherever they are. So thank you so much, my friend, for sharing your time. I can't wait to see the, you know, the next level of the launch about this community. And it'll probably time nicely when, when we have this live. So I'm really looking forward to that. And congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chad. I wish you the most success with this show. And uh, anytime you need something or there's ever anything I can do to help support you in any way, just let me know, man. I appreciate you. And for everyone that was listening, hope that you have an incredible day. Thanks so much.